0: This is an ABC podcast.
1: Yes, yes, frogs indeed have accents. So over time and space, frog calls within a species can be quite different. I spent hours and hours on end listening to these calls and I think I I blacked that out a little bit because (laughs) I don't quite remember them all.
0: You're listening to Off Track, your nature one-stop shop in Australia, where we take you somewhere out into the wilderness every single week. And today, it's into the nuance of love calls and just how sexy accents can be. To frogs. Savannah Weaver is a master's student at Cal Poly in California. But she recently spent some time with the Australian Museum studying Australian frog calls. And as a consequence, she's recently put out a scientific paper all about frog accents. Yeah, accents.
1: Frogs call mainly because they want to find a partner. So it's the male frogs that you usually hear calling and they're calling because they want to find a mate to make more little baby frogs, and so when you hear your frogs calling, you can think of that as a love song. It's pretty one-sided. The males are the ones singing their little hearts out, trying to express their love for the female frogs, and hoping they want to make baby frogs with them, but... For the most part, the advertisement call is only males. In this mating system, in the frog mating system for most frog species, the females are the choosy ones. So the females select which males they think would be best to be the father to their little frog babies, and the males, they don't really get a say. They just hope that someone likes them enough to let them be a frog dad. Males are also pretty territorial at times, and those territorial calls can be quite different from the advertisement calls. So at the end of their advertisement calls, sometimes they will make calls directed at other male frogs in a territorial way. So they'll be singing their love songs, like, hello, females, come come to me. And then at the end of their love song, they'll be like, and also, you other males, stay away from me and stay away from my territory because these are my females.
0: Here's the red-eyed tree frog. That's his sexy call. And that purring, that's his warning to the other males. And here's a chorus of the same species, with all the different messages mixed in. Or take this, the much-loved pobble-bonk. Hear that farty little sound? That's the male Pobble telling another male Pobble to back off, buddy.
1: It's it's hard because even as scientists, we don't quite know what all these calls mean. And that's also why studying frog calls is so important. One reason that the advertisement call is important is because it's a signal of the evolutionary fitness of the frog. So a lot of the variables that females listen to, whether or not that's conscious or subconscious, tell them whether or not those males are like strong competitors versus maybe not so strong so for example the the rate of a frog call so if you hear like eat, 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 versus eight eight the frog that's calling at a faster rate that is showing that they have endurance maybe they're a little stronger He must be able to get lots of food and he must be able to escape predators. And so as a female, I would think, oh, that's a great frog for a dad for my frog babies because I want my frog babies to also be able to escape predators and to find enough food.
0: So communicating multiple things in a call. Does it follow then that frog calls are complex in terms of their sounds? Dr. Jody Rowley is the lead of the Frog ID project at the Australian Museum, as well as an adjunct at the University of New South Wales.
2: Frog calls can be really variable in terms of a frog that just does a standard, stereotypical, repeated noise, like the banjo frogs, where it's just a bonk. Bonk, Uh, And then they can go into things like crazy frogs in other parts of the world that have hyper-extended vocal repertoires, which essentially means they don't make the same noise twice. They have a whole bunch of different noises that they make, you know, from squeaks to whistles to, you know, completely variable things that, that we don't understand why they're saying so much. The most complex calls in the frogs that we studied here are the, the tree frogs, the, the red-eyed tree frog and the orange-eyed tree frog, which have very similar calls. They're more complex because they have more notes. So instead of just repeating the kind of one bonk, bonk, which is sort of a single note call, they actually have multi-notes within their call, so many notes, and these are often pulsed. They usually have a very similar number of notes, but if you know they're feeling particularly, you know, keen to get the girls, then they might chuck in a few more notes, and and if there's more boys around as well, they might actually add more of those little territorial noises. So frogs recognise their own species by their call, and so it makes sense that you would kind of have a pretty consistent call. Yeah.
0: Okay. Keep the message about who the pobble wants to bonk, very clear. I get it. But then my mind drenched up this example of a frog that was a bit of a weird one. It's from when I interviewed frog acoustics guru Murray Littlejohn a while back.
1: The spotted marsh frog, Limnodynastes tasmaniensis.
0: He told me all about this little spotted frog that had a huge difference in its calls.
1: There are two call races of this species in Victoria, Northern and Southern, with hybrid zones where their ranges contact. The Northern Call race of Limnodynastes Tasmaniensis, the Southern Call race of Limnodynastes Tasmaniensis.
2: In the places where I'm most familiar with it, so in New South Wales, they have a little kind of a machine gun call, so it's sort of like... ( suffering) Then as you move south, it does this strange thing where it starts to get less and less notes in its call until down in southern Victoria and Tasmania, it has a single kind of... which is bizarre so no other frog that we know of in Australia has such a variable call and because it's so variable we call them call races although when you actually start looking at the frog ID data things do change a little bit more like a gradient than than you would think so they can be I think about up to seven notes so have seven little in a row all the way down to the one but it's a very strange frog because one of the strange things about this frog is that it co-occurs with the striped marsh frog. And so in places in, in southern Victoria and Tasmania, they sound almost the same when they get together. It's really, really tricky. One is kind of more of a tack, tack, and that's the Tasmaniansis, and then the striped marsh frog's more of a bock, bock. But, wow, it can be hard to tell them apart. So you'd you think that wouldn't make sense, really.
0: Because... Species normally like to keep their calls separate from others. So, and I get to say it again, the message is clear that the par can tell who it wants to bonk. So, the spotted marsh frog is an unusual one in the context of frog calls by being so extremely divergent within one species. Normally, the calls are much more uniform. And that makes them useful for scientists.
2: We use frog calls for a lot of different things. We use them to describe new species. So we say if they're a little bit different, well, then we think that it's a new species. But we actually didn't know how variable frog calls were in the first place.
1: There have been many studies about frog calls. Savannah Weaver again. But the big problem is that a lot of studies of frog calls only used sometimes two or even three frogs and you're not going to be able to cover the individual variation if you only use a handful of frogs. In our paper, we were using the frog ID records and so I was able to analyze almost 800 frog calls while Most studies that have come before this have used somewhere between two and 50 frogs maximum. And so that is really groundbreaking to be able to have such a large data set.
2: Frog ID is is pretty epic. This is the biggest database of frog calls in the world and it's in Australia, which is pretty fantastic. It lets us do a whole lot of things, but you have to – account for a lot of the variability and things so the fact that the calls are not from where we've picked they're from wherever we get them they're at different times of year they're they're at different places sometimes they're concentrated sometimes there's a lot of calls from one place and that's not actually interesting to us for this study you know we wanted calls from different places so there's a lot of filtering out of the data and in addition to that not every recording is of good enough quality of the frog call itself to be able to do really good analysis on it so you might have you know a motorbike starting up uh in the middle of the call recording
0: or this kookaburra starting to chuckle which interferes with the clarity of the frog calls or wind the recordist's worst enemy
2: or you might have a chorus of 16 frog species, so you can hardly hear the one that you're interested in. Like this. So there's a bit of work to try and figure out which ones are the nice, clean recordings that we are able to use for this kind of bioacoustic analysis and, and look at frog accents a little more. We decided to choose species that had very different calls and that were kind of unrelated to each other and that also had some different sized ranges. But frogs that we had enough recordings of via Frog ID that we'd be able to answer the question. So we wanted to try and make some sort of general assumptions. So we did choose species pairs that were quite different from each other. So you've got the tree frogs the red-eyed and the orange-thighed tree frogs that have really quite long and complex calls with different bits to it. Then you've got the banjo frogs that just do that simple kind of bonk and then you've got a couple of the, the tiny little crinia frogs that have, have more of a, a squeak as well and so trying to capture as much diversity in the types of frogs, how related they were and, and, and how complex or you know different their calls were. So the tree frogs had a really quite complex call. So I don't know if you've heard a red-eyed tree frog calling. They're a a frog that tends to call only after rains in spring and summer. But they have kind of that, and it's sort of variable in length. And then they also do like a little purring as well that is apparently a, a sort of a territorial thing. So the... More of a cinematic experience. They don't just hit you with the call. They have a call that kind of rises gradually and gets to sort of a crescendo, uh, and and then kind of ends away. The other species, though, are, are quite simple calls. So banjo frogs, all across Australia, the different species of banjo frogs all kind of go bonk, like a banjo in different kind of pitches may be slightly longer and then the crinia they tend to have a quite a simple call as well so more like a eh. Eh.
0: and one of the frogs that Savannah and Jody studied was Limnodynastes paranoi, the striped marsh frog. It sounds a little bit like a tock or a thwack like a wet tennis ball bouncing
1: the the chorus version. Uh, you can really hear different tones in the tennis ball hits. <laughs> you can definitely pick out the different individuals because it, it's not just a monotonous little walk sound. You can you can really hear a different variation, and that's the individual variation in that.
0: By taking hundreds of recordings, it means that some of the individual variation can be taken out of the equation. And what remains, well, could it be an accent?
2: So we actually found in the most sort of simple way that frogs have accents, that they change from, for example, north to south, and they actually change over the course of a breeding season as well. So they might be more squeaky and more short at the beginning of the breeding season and then get a bit deeper and longer as the breeding season goes on. So if you record a frog today, the call will be a little bit different tomorrow, but it will probably be very different call in three months. And the same is true as if you record a frog in Sydney and then go to uh, Melbourne and record the same frog, that they're likely to have much more of a different accent than if you just went up the road and recorded uh, the same frog up the road.
1: There were clear, clear trends in, in our analyses that throughout the range, the call duration and the peak frequency of the striped marsh frog were quite different. And so in one side of the range the call might be ever so slightly longer um, and on opposite sides of the range the peak frequency might be slightly different as well but these differences so they're not they're not huge so for example the differences that we saw in call duration which is the length of one little tennis ball walk Um, that would be less than a tenth of a second.
0: A tenth of a second? How long is that? Hear that beep? Yeah, that's a tenth of a second. It's so subtle for us humans to hear. Here's a group of striped marsh frog calls that I've put all together. You can hear the difference in frequency, like slightly different notes. But these are also different durations, and it's hard for me to demonstrate so that you can hear. But if we slow it down, slower, slower, yeah, no. Nah, even then, it's still hard to hear. But our human perceptions aren't really what we're talking about here anyway. It's the frogs that matter. And that tenth of a second in the context of those thwacks, that's important.
1: With how many calls I analyzed, that came out to be very significant. You know, we really don't understand how well they can pick up on those little details. And clearly, if there is obvious variation and trends like we found in our paper, it is definitely possible that the frogs can understand that variation, even though we don't. The striped marsh frog, which one of the species with the most available frog ID records and so really the most power behind this conclusion they have really obvious increasing variation in their advertisement call uh, across their range and so if you take a frog on one side of the range and you compared it to a frog on the other side of the range their calls could potentially be quite different while two frogs that live adjacent to each other or, you know, in the same habitat, theoretically their calls would be quite similar.
0: It sort of makes sense, right, that over geographic space there are different sounds. It happens in humans. It happens in birds. But this study found that frogs change their calls over time.
1: So the orange slide tree frog had really obvious variation over time. We tested call variables throughout the breeding season The breeding season would be the time of year that usually you hear these frogs calling and, you know, their calls are their love songs. So hence breeding season. At the beginning of the breeding season, the orange-thighed tree frog might sound ever so slightly different than it sounds at the end of the breeding season. And that's that is a whole species shift. But again, these are things that we might not pick up on as humans because it's a fraction of a second difference in the call duration and the peak frequency is uh, not that much (laughs) different. And so definitely as humans, it's hard for us to hear.
0: And why? Why call differently from one end of a breeding season to another?
2: Yeah, that was one of the things that not many people have studied. I'd heard rumours from other frog biologists, for example, Keith McDonald up in North Queensland, who'd be hearing some of those little microhylid frogs calling from rainforests. He would say, uh, and actually he would submit Frog ID recordings, and he would tell me about the state of its gonads in the notes section in Frog ID. He would submit a recording of one and say that it had immature gonads. Uh, Upon questioning from me about exactly what was going on there, he said that he could tell by the call that it made. So, uh, you know, how, how deep or how long the call was. And so that also got us thinking as well. It makes sense that frogs would get more keen and more into it and start calling differently over the season. We don't fully know the reasons for this, but we've also really never had so much information to try and help understand that as well.
0: Confirmation of this variation, or accent, within frog species may mean that scientists who work in this area will have to reconsider some of their practices.
1: For example, if a scientist wants to describe a new species and they take one frog call, so that would be a single point in time and a single point in space, they're not accounting for that species variation over time and over space and that's problematic I'm I'm 100% guilty
2: of that. So a lot of the work I do is in Southeast Asia and we might only see three frogs of that species and we might know that we're not going to be able to get up that mountain again. So most of the time the calls are very different that we use those so they might, you know, sound completely different to the the human ear. So there's no worrying about that, but it just makes us think that we need to definitely be a little more careful and in places where we can get more recordings. So like in Australia when we're trying to still describe the diversity of frogs that we have that we need to make extra efforts not to kind of make assumptions based on just a few calls because there is this variation over time and space and so we need to try and capture that as much as possible
1: and this is where frog id comes in (laughs) because as scientists we can't be out there all the time everywhere recording the frogs but we need to be and so that's where frog id Really comes in helping us get those recordings.
0: Info about this research and a link to the paper on the Off Track website. So head over to abc.net.au/offtrack. Many of the recordings in this week's programs came from the users of the Frog ID app and using that app not only helps projects like this Frog Accents one, it's also a great way of figuring out what frog you're hearing at your place. There was also audio recordings from Murray Littlejohn, the guru of frog acoustics in there, and a couple of mine. I'm Ann Jones and meet me here with the off-track backpack ready to go for next time. That's when I'll take you somewhere else.
2: You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio, and exclusives on the ABC Listen
0: app.